Amen. What a wonderful song. Open your Bibles again to Hebrews chapter 4 and uh, put a marker there if you have a pencil or a pen. I want you to make just a couple of uh, notes as we go through uh, the chapter just in the introduction. That's all. I want you to make some notes. I'm going to preach tonight on this subject, Do We Know How to Rest? <clears throat> do we know how to rest? I didn't say, do we know how to take a nap? It's obvious I've seen you do that. Uh, do we know how to rest? And I want to preach a message tonight. I absolutely know without a doubt is going to be a help to some people because there are some that are seeking a particular rest that only God can give. And uh, so I pray tonight that God will let me give you the message in a way uh, that will be a blessing. Heavenly Father, as I spend so many hours every week in that quiet place of study and prayer, Lord, as I pray not just for sermons to preach, but I pray for our church, I pray for our people in particular with their needs, and then, Lord, as I read your word and as I study your word, I find truths that I think will help our people to meet their needs. And Lord, all of those hours and times of study and preparation and then to bring those into four 30-minute teaching and preaching times, Lord, I pray that I can convey this truth and I can testify that this truth has been a great help and a blessing to me. Lord, as I have prepared it, as I have worked to live this truth, I pray that I can teach it in a way it can be understood and that we can apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Rest is something that everyone seeks. Many pay a high price to find a good place of rest or a good place of comfort. I want to preach about a rest, and it's interesting how many times, especially in the New Testament, you find the importance of rest. The Lord Jesus told his disciples that it was important for them to rest. But he's not just talking about physical rest, though that is a major part of what he's talking about. He is talking about a peace that we can have in him. I want you to look at chapter 4. I want you to notice that is the subject of this chapter. Look at verse number 1, if you will. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Notice that, his rest. Make a note of that, underline that, or mark that in some way. Verse number 3, the Bible says, For we uh, which have believed do enter into rest. There's that word again in verse 3. Look at verse number 4. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest uh, the seventh day from all his works. There it is in verse 4. Look at verse number 5. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. There's that word rest again. Look at verse number 8. For if Jesus had given them rest... Uh, there is that word again, the word rest in verse number 8. Verse number 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Look at verse number 10. For he that is entered into his rest. His rest. Uh, there it is again in verse number 10. Look at verse number 11. 
And this interesting wording here, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Let us work to enter into that rest. So it's obvious that he is talking about you and I knowing his rest. Now, if you looked at chapter 3, and we'll not go through that in detail, you'll find that is the subject there. There are at least five warnings given in the book of Hebrews. Two of them are together here in chapter 3 and chapter 4. First of all, there is a warning about disregarding the salvation of God. Notice chapter 2, verse number 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So there is a warning about disregarding the salvation of God. The second one is what I want to preach about. The second has to do with not disregarding his salvation. Don't miss it. Get the wording. But disbelieving the sufficiency of God. We've entered to his salvation, but we haven't yet believed in his sufficiency. Uh, there are many who will come to the place of faith for salvation and yet will never enter into the place of rest by faith in the sufficiency of God. And that's what I want to preach about. I don't want you to just be saved. I want you to have the assurance not just of salvation, listen to me, but I want you to have peace or rest that God wants us to have. Now, he gives two illustrations of this about those who did not enter into his rest. And one is an Old Testament illustration. The other is a New Testament illustration. Notice chapter 3, verse number 7. He tells us of folks, they were delivered from Egypt. That represents salvation. But they never came to the place of resting in his sufficiency in the wilderness. You understand, when they got to Kadesh Barnea, everybody died over the age 20. You know why? They never came to trust in the sufficiency of God. Uh, they believed him to set them free from the land of bondage and how sad it is to be saved but live like you have no peace with God. And that's exactly what he's talking about. Look at chapter 3, verse number 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, hearken, harden not your heart as in the provocation, or when they made him angry in the wilderness, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Now they believed me for salvation, for coming out of the land of Egypt, but they didn't believe me for sufficiency. I want to say tonight, if he's able to save, he's able to provide. If he's able to give salvation, he is sufficient in all things. And let's not just take salvation, let's take the benefits that go with it. So he gives an Old Testament illustration. He begins in chapter 4 and says, let us therefore... Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about, let's not be like those in the Old Testament. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. 
For unto us was the gospel preached as well unto thee, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although their works were finished. Boy, this is a great statement right here from the foundation of the world. You know what he's saying? Not only was your salvation settled before the foundation of the world, so was God's supply and sufficiency to meet your every need after he saved you. He's not able just to begot you, just to beget you into his family. He's able to care for our every need. Now, we want tonight to enter into a peace. We want to enter into a rest that God is able to care for us. That generation died in the wilderness, set free from bondage in Egypt, but they never came to the blessings of the land of Canaan. He is telling the New Testament Christian, don't live in unbelief as the Old Testament saints did in the day of provocation. They angered God by their unbelief. Not just their complaining. Not just their complaining. They angered him because of their disbelief. You understand when the 12 spies came back and 10 gave a report, God called it an evil report. Was it evil because they trusted in some sorcerer or some devil or some demon? No, it was called an evil report because it was not a report of faith in God. They looked at the circumstances rather than the power of God. The ten said we can't go because there are giants in the land and they're too big. There were two, Joshua and Caleb, they said we can go forward. Let's take the land. Here's the promise. Every place our foot will trod, every place we step, God's going to give us that land. Let's go forward. The people began to murmur and they said we can't do it. And God was angry with them. He's saying if he was angry with them then, he'll be angry with us now if we don't move forward by faith in his sufficiency for our lives today. They'd experienced deliverance and emancipation from Egypt. <clears throat> They'd experienced the parting of the Red Sea. They had experienced water from the rock of Horeb. Yet they would not believe and they provoked the God of heaven. The New Testament believer can fail as sadly as Israel failed in the wilderness. Now I want you to get this comparison. We're living in a world that is as barren of spiritual things as the desert was of things they needed to sustain the Israelites on their way to Canaan. Some look at our world today and they say, I see no hope, our world's a mess. I agree that our world's a mess, but he is our hope in this world as God was their hope in the wilderness. You be careful about criticizing those traveling through the Old Testament and their complaining if we're not willing to find hope in Christ in this present world. You see, what the wilderness was to Egypt, the world is to us. Now, the book of Hebrews as a whole is telling us God has something better for you. God has the best life for you. And he's telling them, don't be satisfied with just being set free. Only be satisfied by the all-sufficient provision of God in this life. 
I want you to come to the place that you're at total peace no matter what the circumstances are around you. Many have the idea that, uh, that failure to enter into uh, all that God has given them is not really a serious matter. I want to tell you something. I had rather be a total failure in this world as far as the world defines success and have a walk with God and enjoy the blessings of God and be rich spiritually than to be the world's greatest success. It is not just sad, it is sinful when we don't hunger for the spiritual blessings of God in this life. There are three words that are important in understanding Hebrews 4, 1 through 3. First of all is the word fear. Let us therefore fear. Let's not be like the Old Testament saints that died in the wilderness and never enjoyed the land of Canaan. It didn't mean they didn't go to heaven. It meant they didn't enjoy the victorious Christian life. And that's what Canaan really represents, the victorious Christian life. A little girl fell out of bed in the night. Her mama went to her and she said, Honey, what happened? She said, I guess I was sleeping too close to where I got in the bed. She was sleeping on the edge and she fell out. It's a serious thing for the Christian to live on the edge of the world. Folks, why in the world? Now, Egypt, I'm sorry, the Israelites did the same thing. They foolishly said, I want to go back to Egypt. I just read what they ate over there, garlics, leeks, and onions, and I don't ever want to go to Egypt, even visit today. And, uh, uh, but why in the world? We shouldn't be satisfied with our bank accounts. And I'm not preaching against that. We're supposed to work. I understand that. But that's not what satisfies us. I want to enter into peace with God knowing not only is my heart right with him, I'm enjoying the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want to have the joy, the love, the peace, the long-suffering, the meekness, the temperance, the gentleness, the goodness. I want that to bear fruit in my life. I don't want to have faith just for salvation. I want to have faith for sufficiency. Verse number one, he said, let's fear. Let, let, let's not be like those in the Old Testament that die short of the blessings of God. The second in verse number two, the second is the word failure. The word failure. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The two spies said, we can. Ten spies said, we can't. So they followed the multitude. The Jews that made it to Kadesh Barnea did not identify themselves with Caleb and Joshua, so the good report did them no good, and we can fail in the same way if we're not striving to receive and live in our lives the good spiritual blessings of God. And I want to tell you something. When you go to the place of difficulty and tragedy and crisis in your life, the things of this world will not satisfy you. They will not bring peace but I tell you what will being completely right with God and bearing the fruit of the spirit in your life the third word is found in verse number three and the answer to fear and failure is faith is faith the blessings were ordained of God before the foundation of the world God not only planned for my salvation he planned for my sufficiency he's going to meet my needs Worry is a waste of my time. 
worry is the opposite of faith and it angers God. Worry ought to cause us to fear because it's the opposite of faith. Christians, are you with me tonight? It's the opposite of faith. He wants me to have faith in him. But when I worry, I'm saying, Lord, I'm, I'm afraid you can't take care of this. I know you can take care of Pharaoh. I know you can send ten plagues. I know you can cross. Uh, you can uh, divide the waters of the Red Sea. I know you can give water from a rock. I know you can give manna from heaven. I know you can give us clothes and shoes that never wear out. But I'm afraid this one's going to get you. Faith, not only for salvation... But faith for sufficiency lets me enter into a rest, a calmness that only God can give. Today we do not fight the inhabitants of the wilderness nor of Canaan. But we do fight against the principalities and powers and the rulers of this world's darkness, against spiritual wickedness or wicked spirits in high places. You see, as the children of Israel fought against seven nations greater and mightier than they were, don't miss it, God said, I'm going to give you victory over every one of those and the fight is worth it and the battle is worth it. I'm not going to fight them for you, but I'm going to fight them with you. You're going to win. And just as sure as God promised them victory, God says to us, you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. We can have victory in this life. Let's just go ahead and settle it tonight. I'm a victor in Christ. I'm going to win. Just as sure as my salvation was settled before the foundation of the world, so is the sufficiency of Christ. At this point, the writer of Hebrews, upon a discussion of the nature of the true rest that God has in store for his people, he gives us instruction and tells us with three different illustrations of how we can have rest and peace in our lives. I'll tell you this story. Two artists were asked to paint a picture of peace. Think about it. I'm not an artist. If I were an artist and I were asked to paint or to draw a picture of peace, what would I paint? Two artists were asked to paint pictures of peace. One, he submitted a painting, and his painting was of a painted ocean still as a pond. It mirrored in its depths every line, curve, and detail of the sailboats that were in the harbor. Overhead of that pond, still water of ocean, there was a perfect, beautiful blue sky. In that blue sky were a few light, fluffy clouds. On the shore, children were playing in the shallow waters and making castles in the sand. The painting was entitled Peace. The second artist's picture was like this. He depicted a wild and rocky shoreline against which the angry waves crashed in towering clouds and splashing water upward. The sky was black with a storm. 
The surging waves, they tossed and they heaved as they came toward the shoreline. But far up on the rocky shore, hidden in the cleft of the rock, sheltered from the wind and the water, sat a little white bird. It was safe. It was secure in a nest. Looking out with a serene and untroubled eye, at all of the turmoil beneath, and it won the prize for a picture of peace. One is what we wish life was. The other is what it is and what we can be with peace in Christ. He doesn't want us to worry. He wants us to rest in him. He doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to rest in him. There are three pictures of rest that he gives us in chapter 4. First of all, he talks about the rest after creation, verses 4 and 5. God has always wanted men to have rest in him. Israel's Sabbath day was based on this rest, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. The Sabbath rest, though, was not a rest in weariness and from weariness. Don't miss that statement. God did not rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. You may say of someone you know that's building a house, you may say, are they still building that house? And the answer would be, no, it's finished. They're ready to move in. That's how God rested after creation. He didn't sit down after day six and say, whew, I am exhausted speaking all this world into existence. That's not the kind of rest he's talking about. The rest he's talking about is the rest of creation. Look at the verses, verses four and five. He's basically saying, I'm finished. You may ask the question as I asked on Thursday. Is she still cooking? The answer, no, it's finished and ready to eat. My response, let's pray. (laughs) Is he still working in bringing in the harvest? No, it's finished and ready to enjoy. All that God has for us is complete and ready and available for us to enjoy. We are waiting on him for nothing. All is complete. All I have, all I need is in Christ. The chorus says, Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need, all, all I need. It's not just all I need for salvation. He's all I need for sufficiency. That's the rest of creation. Then there was the rest of the land of Canaan. That's in verses 6, 7, and 8. The second rest discussed by the writer and uh, of the book of Hebrews is the rest that they were to have in Canaan. That rest was that the enemies were to be uh, defeated and completely taken away. If you recall, God told them before they went into the land of Canaan. Now, there are seven nations that live in the land of Canaan. All seven of them, each separately and together, they're greater and mightier than you. 
You don't take the land overnight. You'll take it little by little, faith and obedience. And that's the way the Christian life is. I'm not working my way to heaven, but I am working my way to enjoy all of the blessings God has for us. Let us therefore labor that we may enter into that rest. He told them, he said, you destroy all of the enemy. Now here's what the Bible says they did, and I read to you from Joshua 17. Yet it came to pass when the children of Israel were waxen strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute but did not utterly drive them out. Now, I don't have time to preach this, but I want to tell you something. You don't make peace with your enemy. You make peace with God and get rid of your enemy. Now listen to me, listen to me. Too, of, too many of us compromise with the world. We compromise with sin. We, we make deals with God. Lord, I'll cut back on that if. I'll do less of that if. What we need to do is what God told them to do. I want you to enter into the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you the ability to drive out the enemies. And they said, we're strong enough. We'll control the enemies. They ended up being defeated by what they should have destroyed to start with. And had they obeyed him, they would have had complete rest. Let me give you the last one. Verses 9 through 13 is Calvary's rest. John 19, 30, you know what Jesus said on the cross of Calvary? It is finished. My salvation, you better know it. But not just my salvation, my supply, my sufficiency. He didn't die to give me heaven and give me eternal life and yet leave me to live in turmoil and anxiety and leave me to live in stress. I'm going to live in a world of tribulation. John 16, In this world ye shall have tribulation. Ah, but look in the cleft. See that little bird in its nest protected from the wind, protected from the rain. And he's watching the storms and he's watching the wind and he's watching the clouds, but he has no fear because he's sheltered in the arms of God. And when Christ died on the cross of Calvary, he died not only to give me salvation, but he died to give me a peace, to give me a rest in him. We enter into the reality of what Jesus meant when he, when he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says this, Take my yoke upon you. Now we think rest is just being lazy. Rest and lazy is two different things. Rest is when you have, here, here's what you say, I feel rested. What does that mean? I'm ready to go. I feel rested. He said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly. He said, here's what I want you to do. A, a, a yoke is for two it is for two. He said, I want you to get in the yoke with me and there you'll find rest. There you'll find peace. I'm telling you tonight, we look too much at the storm rather than the protection in the cleft of the rock. We look too much at the circumstances rather than the promise of what Christ said on Calvary when he said, it is finished. And dear friend, he died not only to give us salvation, he died to give us peace in him. George Mueller died in Bristol, England in 1898. 
George Mueller's death was a national event. It is recorded of his funeral that nothing like it had ever been seen in the city of Bristol. The businesses were closed. Thousands lined the streets to the cemetery. On Bristol Cathedral, flags flew at half-mast. The bells of the city that sounded the time of day were silenced on the day of his funeral. People actually put black shutters over the windows and they pulled their blinds. The whole city mourned the death of George Mueller. Obituary notices appeared in newspapers nationwide. England's Daily Telegraph read, and I quote, Mr. Mueller robbed the cruel streets of thousands of victims. He robbed the jails of thousands of felons. And he robbed the workhouse of thousands of homeless. The Bristol Times wrote of George Mueller, he was raised up for the purpose of showing that the age of miracles is not past. Few people labored as long and as hard in the cause of Christ as did George Mueller. At the age of 70, he already had some mighty accomplishments in his life. By the age of 70, they had constructed five large orphan houses that stood as monuments to the extraordinary vision, zeal, and his faith and trust in God. A few more than 10,000 orphans had only been loved, they'd been housed, they'd been fed, and they had been educated, and they had sought gainful employment, more than 10,000 success stories from his orphanages. Day schools and Sunday schools in many lands had been the benefit of his generosity. Two million Bibles and Bible portions had been circulated through his efforts. Three million books and tracts had been given away. One poor man, solely dependent on God, George Mueller, had received and given away the astonishing sum. By 1898, he had given away $7.5 million. I looked to see what that was worth in 2022. That would be the equivalent of $198 million today. Imagine one man who did not take a salary, lived completely by faith, dedicated to the work of God, did nothing but the work of God, Seven and a half million, today's numbers, nearly $200 million through his hands to accomplish the work of God. At age 70, he turned a new page in life and he became a missionary to the world. He traveled throughout the United Kingdom, across the European continent. He traveled in the United States, Asia, and Australia. In the late 1800s, he traveled more than 200,000 miles and he spoke after the age of 70 6,000 times. He died at the age of 92. When asked the secret of his busy life, he said, rest. I've learned the secret of God's rest. The hymn says, Lord Jesus, thou hast promised rest. Then give it now to me. The rest of ceasing from myself to find my all in thee. George Mueller pointed an unwavering finger to the source of his strength, 
having a quiet time with God and meditation on the word of God, believing simple childlike prayer, he said, and I quote, I've always considered it the first business of the day to get my own soul happy in the Lord. We often make the statement, someone asks, do you feel like doing this? Are you able to go? Can you do this? Oh, I'm fine. I feel rested. God wants us to find rest in him. There was a day America rested uh, they, 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 they rested so they could work. We got that turned around today and we work as little as we can so we can play and recreation and rest. But the Bible teaches us that work is not a bad thing. Work is a purpose of life. How do you keep going? How do you keep working? How do you keep going for God? You find rest in Him. Stand with me if you will. Heavenly Father, I pray that this passage...